What's up, y'all? <laughs> All right, so uh, I'm from the Chocolate Church when I grew up. That means the black church, if you didn't know. Um, so I'm not going to use this joint. Not an actual joint, but like, you know, the microphone. Some of y'all, like, don't get it twisted. All right? Hold on one second. Well, uh, thank you, Nick. It's good to see you, and it's good to see you, Pastor Justin, and the whole family. When I saw y'all last time, y'all was like little kids, and now y'all big and grown and stuff, so it's amazing. Man, one of the things I want to say about your pastor is that uh, there is a lot of people who've been part of my journey as a follower of Jesus, uh, and one of them that has been a huge impact in me has been Justin. Justin, uh, when I grew up in the chocolate church, it was always right to give honor to the pastor and tell truth, not lies. Um, and Justin was one of the ones who was always ready when I was in Bible college to answer any kind of crazy theological question that I had. I had never met a dude who was so wicked smart that every single time I talked to him, I was just like, dang, I'm not even going to read no more. I'm just like, you know, like for me in Bible college in theology, Justin was Google. And I could just ask him, and he knew the answer. And so it's a huge blessing to have Justin be part of my life. And I just want to honor you and say I really appreciate you. And I've been blessed by you. And I'm really, really thankful for you and everything that you do. I'm from a little bit of the background of the Calvary family as well. And just a little bit about myself and my kind of journey uh, is, you know, grew up in the black church, all different types of denominations, uh, ultimately start to really cut my teeth at Calvary Fellowship in Mount Lake Terrace, uh, but crazy old Wayne, uh, my father in the faith, love that man, uh, where I get the good chance to, you know, meet Nick and Anna and, and, and everyone there, and continuing to just learn more and grow in the pastoral journey to church plant and be a pastor. And then I moved to Memphis. Um, if y'all think it's hot in here, uh, move to Memphis, okay? You know, there's the sun, and then there's Memphis, and then earth, okay? <laughs> Memphis is hot, so hot that my rearview mirror melted off two summers in a row. My rearview mirror, fam, melted off the windshield, okay? So that was hot. So I will keep this sermon as short as possible if you are alive. So if I hear you say amen, I know that you're still here, okay? So let's, let's get in and get out. You know what I'm saying? Let's get the word and let's get out because it's be hot in here. And so if it is hot, make sure you stay hydrated, go outside, take a, take a breather. I won't be mad at you. Um, I'm just thankful to be here and glad that I get to be here this, this summer and in this journey of, of, of my formation and being able to just serve other pastors who are on sabbatical. There's one other pastor here who's on sabbatical who actually preached for twice uh, the past month, too. So uh, I've been making my rounds like a circuit preacher. So uh, I'm really thankful to be here. So uh, the, the, the sermon series that we are going to do is a mini one. We're going to be in the book of Colossians. So if you can open up your Bibles to the book of Colossians, we are going to be in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Uh, and the, the, the title uh, of this uh, series is called Supreme. Let me hear you say Supreme. Now the sermon title is called Cream. Cream. Now, this is called an acronym, 
okay? Some of y'all didn't know. It's not actually cream, all right? Cream is, stands for Christ rules everything around me, okay? The book of Colossians is a book about the centrality and the supremacy of the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. So we're going to look at what it looks like as followers of Jesus to have Jesus as preeminent or the central figure by which we orient our life around. So we are going to skip Colossians chapter uh, 1 verses 1 through 14 and we are going to be camping out in verses 15 through 23. So let us read uh, the word of the Lord. This is what the word of the Lord says. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things. Let me hear you say all things. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have the first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on a cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, have become a servant of it. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You know, most of us like to hang around people that have a good, clean rap sheet, you know, like you're not, you're not going to get in trouble or nothing like that. Or you don't want to be affiliated with people who are getting into trouble and stuff like that. That's how I grew up. My mom always told me, don't, 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 don't be a fool. Don't hang around fools. Well, Apostle Paul, uh, at this point, he's, a, he's technically a criminal. <laughs> the dude wrote this while he was in jail. Now, uh, as a pastor, uh, I have not been in jail. It's not to say some pastors have not been, but it would be a common occurrence through the writers that their pastor would have gone to jail. So we look at Paul, and Paul is sitting there locked up in jail, and he is writing this letter to the church. Now, he's writing this letter uh, to the church at Colossae, but he also probably, uh, commentators say he probably pins other letters, uh, which we would call books, but these are letters that he's writing to the church. There was a particular issue going on, though. There was something of a, of a heresy. What was the heresy? We don't know. Well, what is heresy? Most people think, like in church, they'd be like, oh, well, they sing uh, Maverick City music, um, and they sing Hillsong music. If you don't sing Hillsong music, if you sing Maverick City, you're in heresy. No. 
That's not heresy. Or if you go to church in the morning and you go to church at night, heresy. No, that's not heresy. Heresy is a negation or a rejection of biblical truth with a twist of the truth with lies. Those would be heresies. Like a heresy that people kind of gravitated and believed because of the philosophical and ways that people thought and the ways that religion were is they would think that Jesus, as Jesus was, the scriptures tell us, and he tells us, especially in John chapter 17 in the high priestly prayer, that Jesus is God, but he is also fully man. Now, we don't say half God and half man. No, 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 no. 100% God, 100% man, which is different from like Hercules, right? Half God, half man. Kevin Sorbo with long blonde hair. That's, that's not the proper theology to think about Jesus in as the Messiah. Fully God, fully man. Theologically, we call it the hypostatic union. That Jesus, as he was fully man, he got tired. And if you don't get that, he got tired, y'all. He was in the boat sleeping. He also liked to eat fish. I think probably think it was fried fish. And he was frying up stuff for his disciples, even after he resurrects. A little fish fry. And so Jesus is fully man. He bled. But he's fully God. And he preexisted before the world began. That's crazy. And this is what the scriptures are saying. So if you want to understand and remember this, Paul loves this church. This church, which we'll cover next week, was most likely started by a man named Epaphras. So as Paul and his young buck, his sidekick, Timothy, are in jail and Timothy is helping out Paul and Epaphras, you'll also read about later in some of the other letters that Epaphras is up here trying to help and bring letters to Paul on behalf of the church. You see, but Epaphras most likely was the one who started this church. We don't know, but we do know this. The church was popping off. That means uh, there was activity. The church was having activity and it was active. It was alive. And Paul, because he loved the church, wrote them this. But here's the interesting thing. This is not just a a letter. This is actually a poem. In the original language, in Greek, this is actually a poem or a hymn that Paul writes. I like to think of it as a rap song. And he has these words and these different phrases that are rhyming and different things. Exalting Jesus as the Messiah, the chosen one, the sent one, God in the flesh. So in verse 15, he says, he is the image of the invisible one, the firstborn of all creation. We have to remember the context of this. Up to this point, everyone is being dominated by Rome. As they tried to hem up Jesus, that means trick him. They tried to trick Jesus and say, should we really pay taxes? Jesus says, give unto Caesar what's Caesar's and give unto God what's God. Because he asked them, do you see whose image is on this coin? The image on the coin is Caesar, so give it to him. You see, but these verses that Paul is pinning has very amazing, crazy echoes to Genesis. For God making mankind in his image male and female, making them in his image, how God makes us in his 
image. This is the imagery. This is why one of the commandments that God said, do not make graven images of himself. Why? Because God already made images of himself. It's you and I. That word, images, selim, the carbon copy, the representation, meaning that all of us as image bearers were made and created to image God, to display his beauty, his shalom, his peace, his mercy. So when Paul says that he is the image of the invisible, he's the image of God, the invisible one, the firstborn of creation, roughly translated in the Greek, he's saying God is dope. He is first. He was before all things. And he was part of creation. As we see in Genesis, God spoke and the very word of God created all things. And in Colossians, we'll see later on that all things were created in him, through him, by him and for him. In him, all things were created in the heavens and earth, the things that we see and the things that we cannot see. That even means a brand new pictures that the telescope found all these crazy distant galaxies that no one's ever heard of or seen before. He owned that. That's his. He made it. You see, the Caesar was thought of to be the image of God. The leader, the king was thought to be the image of God. You see, but we are to be the images of God. As we image God in our daily lives, in our context, in our communities, what we do is we give people what's called a divine appetizer of the foretaste of the kingdom of God. That they would see God's goodness, love, shalom, and mercy. That they would see Jesus as God and as the uncaused creator independent of creation. Let me say that again. The uncaused creator independent of creation. He created all things. And it says, verse 16, that all leadership and government entities and spiritual powers submit to him for he alone is worthy. And he has loaned his authority out. The reason why government is supposed to work is because government is supposed to reflect the justice of God, the righteousness of God. Do not believe any type of gospel that will tell you that the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, is disconnected from the physical aspect of daily orientation of life. The gospel is not just to be proclaimed, it is also to be demonstrated. You see, friends, I have never met a person who doesn't follow Jesus and says, you know what? I just don't like you because you actually do what Jesus says. I just, I find you very consistent in loving the poor, in serving the widow and the orphan. I just can't believe that. No, it's actually when we as people who claim to be followers of Jesus don't do the things that even they know, they reject, but they know we are supposed to be doing. Ain't that crazy? You see, we cannot disconnect the physical space and the spiritual space. The gospel is just not Jesus died 
lived a perfect life, and rose on the third day. That is a part of the gospel. But if we only have that part, we truncate the reality of the gospel that Jesus, through his resurrection, as N.T. Wright would say, comes and launches new creation as the last Adam, the second Adam, our representative, to bring about new shalom and new creation. The aim of the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ is for God to put the world right. And he does that in us and through us by his spirit. And we co-labor with God. You see, it's a cross-shaped gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for us to be reconciled to him vertically and reconciled to one another. It is physical and it is spiritual. And Paul says here, that all thrones, lordships, and powers, all things were created through him and for him. Paul does not see earthly rulers and powers differently or make distinction in this. What does that mean? You see, often we forget that the reality of our conflict and battles is not against our neighbor, but it's actually against principalities and evil forces. We forget that. We have lots of movies that talk about spirits and all these things, and it's become very normal and very, like, close and happenstance that we don't remember that this is a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual war. And at the same time, it often spills out and manifests itself in our world. We see it. And so Paul does not make a delineation and say, when I say rulers and powers, I don't mean just demons and principalities. He's saying, I mean demons, and I also mean your president, demons and your mayor, demons and the tax collector, demons and your king, demons and the police. All of those things he is saying work through these spaces, and the evil seeks to invade through the truth and the reality of God's justice and his shalom. It is a battle we must fight. The government is not the enemy. The government is not the enemy. Your neighbor is not the enemy. Your parents are not the enemy. The police are not the enemy. The enemy, can, you can look in the mirror and see that we all have the capacity when we are not filled with the Holy Spirit, to live out the truth of the gospel. The enemy is the rejection of God to be governed and ruled by his lordship. Government is supposed to reflect the justice and righteousness of God. Do we get it right? <laughs> no. Do we get everything right? No, we don't. But we have to understand, too, that justice is an attribute of God. And that is the reason why we have government. That is the reason why we have police. People sometimes will think to themselves, if we abolish these entities or these spaces, all life will be better. Anarchy is not the answer. Autonomy is not the answer. And neither is abuse of power. Neither is that. So what do we do with this? We submit ourselves to remember that Jesus is over what? 
all things that they were created in him, through him, by him. We as believers and followers of Jesus are called to be filled by the spirit and allow the truth of the reality of the kingdom of God and his love to his creation. Verse 17 says that he is ahead prior to all else and in him all things hold together. He himself is supreme. You see, Jesus is the creator, but he is not only the creator, but remember, he stepped into his creation. God is not a God who just says, oh, y'all done messed up. Y'all toe up from the flow up. I'm just going to go ahead and leave you. He says, no, 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 no. He wraps himself in flesh and comes near. He sees the issue and then comes near. He doesn't say, wow, deuces. He comes near. He comes in flesh. He steps into his own creation that he made to be beautiful, to reflect him, to reflect his beauty, his glory. And then he steps into his own creation and allows his own creation to destroy him so that he can remake the very people that destroyed him and that destroyed his creation. Ain't that something? You know what that's called? It's called good news. It's good news. You ever seen the movie? You know, if you, if you, you know, if you kids in here right now, you shut your ears. But if you ever seen the movie 300, and if you haven't seen it by now, I'm not spoiling the movie. That movie came out like 15 years ago. It's your own fault, okay? But you remember the scene where the, the, the messenger would bring this message to King Leonidas, and he would tell him, the Spartan, dude all ripped, got abs, you know, I got one, it's in the cooler, it's, you know, it's just, it's just chilling, you know, but this dude is out here just like yoked up, that means muscular, standing there flexing, dude comes to bring the message, right, and he says, hey man, I got a message from King Artaxerxes, he says, he'll spare you if you bow down to him and give up. And dude's wife looked at him like, does he know who he talking to? Some of us know our wives have that look. Like when somebody comes at us, they're like, I know you ain't talking to my husband like that. She just looked at the dude like, gave, gave her husband the nod, like, handle that, man. Handle that. And the dude got drop kicked into a pit. What's the moral of the story? What does this have to do with the Bible? Well, let me tell you. This man who got kicked into the pit was a messenger. He was called to bring a message to the Spartans. It was supposed to be what? Good news. The king says he will spare you. Well, guess what? That wasn't good news. That wasn't good news that a person would have to bow down to the king. You see, we laugh about the illustration, but oftentimes when Jesus comes as the messenger to bring good news from his father, we oftentimes kick the message of love, reconciliation, truth, loving our neighbor, doing justice, and ultimately bowing our knee to him. You see, but where, where the illustration all breaks down, King Artaxerxes was a terrible king. He was a dominator of people. You see, but our king, Jesus, and the Father, they are loving, 
kind, compassionate. You know, there's nothing worse than a person who has a position of authority and corrupt character. It is not enough to have a position to be a leader and you have terrible character. You see, what good is it that God be sovereign if he was a jerk? What good would it be if God was sovereign, knew all things, but he didn't care about you? What would it, wait, what good does it do that God is omniscient, but in your pain and suffering, he just leaves you in despair? You see, God is not a God who abandons us and abandons his creation. He's a God who steps in and through to his creation to love them and show him who he is. Because Jesus holds all things together, I want you to know, friends, I don't know what's going on in your life, but because Jesus holds all things together, even when you, your body physically or mentally or your life is falling apart, I want you to know that Jesus can hold it together. Jesus can hold it together. What keeps the earth from going too far off to where we burn by the sun or going too far off to where we freeze to death? What stops us? The word, Jesus, who all things consist around. See, the church is to be a beacon of hope. Now, historically, through some leaders, proclaimed, they were proclaimed leaders and proclaimed followers of Jesus, and this has not been the case You see, but we must delineate between people who embody the truth of Jesus and those who use the name of Jesus to pimp people. You don't have to look far throughout history to see people who claim to be followers of Jesus and did the complete opposite. You see, but the scripture says that he is the head of the church and that the church is to be a beacon of hope. But we cannot be a beacon of hope if we put our politics before Jesus, before being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. We cannot be the church if we put our ethnicity above another person's ethnicity. We cannot be the church if we think that we are better than other people, that we think we are more lovable than other people. We cannot be the church if we think we are going to say a prayer and escape as opposed to come to Jesus being loved and working with him to restore all creation. You see, all of us, yes, are broken. All of us, yes, are broken images of God. But God is seeking to, by his grace, by his spirit, to remake us and make us whole. There is a lot of opposition to the church and even the word the church. Some of y'all just was like, oh, oh, the church. We have a lot of feelings about the church. You might have had really bad experiences in the church. I want y'all to know I've had terrible experiences in the church. I mean, I cannot tell you how many leaders or people who claim to follow Jesus have wounded me, not by them making a mistake, right? Because everyone makes mistakes and they apologize and they repent. But I mean people who are just mean, arrogant, not loving Jesus. And you know, my friends who don't follow Jesus ask me, so why you keep rocking with these people? 
Why you keep saying you're part of these people? And I say, well, you know what? I roam with Jesus. I, I know what Jesus looks like. I know what his aroma of grace and mercy smells like. I know what his appetizers of the kingdom taste like. So when I experience anything that's outside of the buffet of the kingdom of God, of grace, love, mercy, peace, shalom, humility, I say, nah, I don't want that. You see, the church is a beacon of hope. By his spirit, by his grace. In the resurrection of Jesus, he launches new creation. And as the second or last Adam, he and his spirit in the church and the followers of Jesus are called to labor with him in the liberation and restoration of all creation. This is our work, fam. We do not chill and kick it until Jesus comes back. You know, I am a sucker for Christian T-shirts or T-shirts, period. You know, one of the ones I absolutely loved was uh, a blood donor saved my life. I just think that one's awesome. I always liked that one. But the corniest one, one of the corniest ones, there's a lot of corny ones. It has this sentiment or this puts this sentiment into Christianity, which is earth is not my home. I'm just passing through. Earth is not my home. I'm just passing through. Earth is not my home. I'm just passing through. Or I'm an alien, right? I'm going back to where I really belong. I'm not of this world. And then you start sounding weird. You see, because it communicates to us that we're here to say a prayer. And we're here to just chill. Because earth is not my home. Well, guess what? Uh, if, if, if you haven't read, read the scripture yet before, um, we don't, like, leave earth. Like, it gets remade. You know, it's like HGTV, you know? Like where they walk in the house and they're like, oh, look at this wall. Let's knock it out and we can totally open. See, God is ultimate renovator. You see, God is uh, the ultimate uh, way better Tim the Toolman Taylor, right? God is the, the way better home remodel that he can do, extreme home makeover. God is coming to do a reveal. You see, God revealed in the resurrection as he was born into, into new life in the garden, just like, wow, the first Adam was in the garden, forfeited all things so that all creation were subject to fertility, and that Jesus, the second Adam, mistaken for a gardener in the garden when he resurrects. It's the bus reveal. Are you ready to see your new home? Resurrected bodies. Remodeled earth, no sickness, no death, perfect government, eternal health care, no taxes, because Jesus paid it all. This is the kingdom of God. Don't you want that? Everybody wants that. You see, but a lot of people want that without the king. You see, but you can't have the kingdom without the king. Because, friends, all laws and benefits of the kingdom are extensions of the beliefs and the character of the king. This is why we should not take who leads us in any aspect of life with a small 
piece of sand. You see, because there are wicked people who lead people who are in positions of power but have not the character to be a good person in them. That's how we get systems of oppression. That's how we get these things that we have to fight. And let us not make the mistake and think that we are far from those. You might have heard of a person named George Whitfield. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. The man could preach. He's one of the early evangelists and people who was well known in church history. But did you know that George Whitfield, he, had, he, 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 he even had like an orphanage to help young kids. That's, that's amazing. But do you know what George Whitfield did? He actually was the catalyst to start slavery in Georgia. So how does that work? When we think, even today, that, you know what, I would never do anything like that. We all have the proclivity to. We all have the, to understand that God is coming to remake all things right. I continually tell my friends who are not believers, and they talk about, Javon, but you know what Christians did to black people in slavery and throughout church history? I say, I know. They, there, was, there was even a Negro slave Bible where all the book of Exodus is gone out of the Bible. How do you take out Exodus? Friends, we gotta understand people's problems with what they hear as the church, some of them, many of them are very valid. But many of them have tasted poisoned food and they haven't actually tasted the appetizers in the buffet of the kingdom of God. That is where you and I come in. We are called to be that, that salt and light, the love, the grace of God and allow him to work in us and through us. Verses 19 through 20. For in him the fullness of God was glad to dwell, and through him to reconcile all to himself. Through him, yes, on earth. Now, have we seen God? No one has ever seen God. This is what um, John says. But we've all seen God, as John would say that Jesus said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the, the Father. That if you've seen me, Jesus, as the Messiah, then you've seen God. He said, you look at my resume. I'm applying to be Lord and King over all things in your life. Guess what? I don't care if you hire me. I already got the job. Check my resume, fam. It's impeccable. Creator of the universe, sustainer of all things, God in the flesh, lover who comes near. Check my resume. You see my work. How can you heal people, Jesus? You shouldn't do that. Complaining that he's healing people. Check my resume, fam. God of the universe. I make broken things right. You see, God has not left us to fix creation itself, but he, we work with him to help fix creation. 
He is working in and through his people, his church, empowered by the Holy Spirit to model and to live into the new creation brought through by the resurrection of Jesus. You see, but the weapon that God used to bring about reconciliation and liberation of all things was love. And his love was displayed through and in his life, death, burial, and resurrection through the cross and ultimately his work through the church to make all things right. Ice will not be covering Narnia forever. Friends, the ice is melting. The ice is melting. So what do we do with this? Colossians 1, 21 through 23 tells us, so what about you? There was a time where you were excluded. You were enemies in your thinking and wicked in your behavior. Friends, when a child is a child, uh, you know, babies cry and they act crazy. And if you don't have them, I got two kids, a four-year-old and a six-year-old, and they be acting crazy. But when my, when my daughter, before, when she, before she was potty trained, I wouldn't expect her to wake up in the morning and say, Father, who loves me and cares for me very much, I need to go to the bathroom. They would just go to the bathroom in their diaper. Or I would not expect my daughter when she asked me for a piece of candy and I say, no, sweetie, you can't have a piece of candy. Well, thank you, Father, for loving me so much and allowing me to even ask you a question to eat the candy that you that you paid for. That would be a weird interaction with a child. I've never had that. And if I had that, I'd be more scared than anything. You see, but you expect them to act a certain way in proportion to their age or their knowledge, right? So why do we, when we encounter people who are not yet knowing the knowledge of Jesus Christ, treat them in such a way? Or we act like somehow we have a gnosis or a knowledge that's higher than theirs, that we are somehow better. That's a heresy. God comes near to us. You see, because we were once excluded. We were all enemies. We are all enemies, but God, but now he has reconciled you and I in his body of flesh through death on the cross. In verse 23, he says, this assumes, of course, of what? That you keep firmly in the faith. Let me hear you say firmly in the faith. You must keep firmly in the faith. He says, remember that God has reconciled you in the body of his flesh through his death in order to bring you into his holy presence, blameless and without accusation. This assumes, of course, that you are keeping firmly in the faith, by which I mean solid on your foundations and not shifting from what? The hope of the gospel which you've heard. In a world of constant change of belief and creation of new worldviews and all kinds of new beliefs and new this and new that, all of these new things, the God of all wisdom who transcends time and space calls us to keep firmly in the faith. You see, God don't switch up. That means God don't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
He is the God of all wisdom. And in the first chapter, we'll see later on in other weeks to come that the prayer that Paul is praying for is that the church at Colossae be filled with wisdom, the knowledge of wisdom of knowing Jesus. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end leads to death. A lot of people are creating all different types of wisdom and new beliefs and new philosophies and all kinds of new this and new that. But that's not what God created. And he says, you must keep firmly in the faith. Paul's prayer, again, for the Colossian church is that they would be filled with wisdom. The world in our fallen nature continues to embrace folly and think in its wisdom, but it's not. We are to keep firmly in the faith and is to remember our foundation. Our foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news The good news, it's good news that Jesus died on the cross. It's good news that he resurrected. It's good news that he is the head of the church because some of these people are bums that be doing this thing. They don't do that. You see, but we all have to understand that we are all broken, poor. And if they were to call us words like bums, We remember that Jesus was homeless. We remember that Jesus didn't have a home. He didn't have a home so that we could have a home. Friends, we're all broken. We're all in rags. And Jesus comes to clothe us. Whether you have clothes on your back or you struggle to find clothes, Jesus clothes us with his righteousness and in his love. Whether you have a home to live in or not, Jesus says you can have a home in me. And we as followers of Jesus have to remember that we are all poor. We are all the same. We are all been broken. But it says here in the scripture, He reconciled us together. There's no one greater. There's no one lesser. If we don't all see ourselves as poor and as in need of Jesus, we have nothing. We bring nothing to God, but yet in Christ we have everything. Amen? God comes near to all of us. To follow Jesus means you must keep firm in the faith and the good news of the gospel, regardless of how churches or leaders or governments or people who rule things treat us. We are to cling to the gospel, which is hope. Do y'all need some hope today? Well, I want you to know today that hope is not dead. Hope is not dead. It will, it, hope will never be dead because Jesus is alive. And because he's alive, we are to cling to the hope, the gospel of hope, the gospel, the good news, the good news that the king is here. And he has brought broken, poor people into his home. That is the good news. And he will do an extreme home makeover of your mind, of your body, and of this earth 
like you ain't never seen before. That is cream. That is what happens when Christ rules everything around me. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time to consult your word. We thank you for this time and this opportunity to see your beauty. God, I pray that every person in this room, regardless of their situation physically, would remember your deep love for them spiritually. God, it's not a thing to make light of because there are real issues and real systems that hurt and harm people. But God, we know that you are sovereign. Lord, I'm so thankful for this church and for the church's aim to love and serve all people and their neighbors by providing meals and training and being a home of community. God, this is what your kingdom is supposed to be like. God, may we never try to prefer people with higher tax brackets, better seats. When we always just remember that we are all the same, and that is people in need of your grace and deeply loved by you. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But yet you, O God, have saw fit to grant us mercy. So I pray that all persons today, whether they have a home, whether they have clothes or not, would remember that you love them and that you are for them. We thank you for all of these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.